and we are live. My name is Ethan Michael. I am here with Richard Graves, and we are going to talk about the impact Christianity has had on Western culture. Whether it's positive or negative, we're going to both offer our opinions on it, um, him from a Christian standpoint, myself from an atheist standpoint. Uh, a little bit of background on Richard Graves. He is the executive director of the Richard Graves Group, Master of Art in Religion and Biblical Studies, Master of Art in American History, and a PhD candidate in Public Policy at Helm School of Government at Liberty University. And we have spoken a few times already, and I got to say, this is, it, it's awesome. Like, I, I could just listen to you talk for hours. Seriously, we've had two great talks. Love it. I'm excited that we're now doing it on the stream. And I'm glad we're no longer forming it as a debate because I got to say, I, I'm a little outmatched here. So <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to, you know, paint too great of a picture of you, but I, I'm just very impressed yeah, with your resume. Expectations. And, <laughs> and I, I'm very honored you're doing this with me. Um, so if you want to give any openers or say anything, pl please feel free to. Well, no, I, I appreciate you um, allowing me this platform to talk to you. and. Um, you know, yeah, you know, some things, you know, are debate worthy, you know, some things, but right. this is one of those things that a discussion I think is better. And I think people gain more from a, a regular discussion as opposed to a, you know, an adversarial debate. I mean, we right. respect each other's opinion. We respect where we're coming from. So that's the biggest thing. And in our society today, that's one of the biggest problems. People on the opposing sides of an argument or even not so opposing sides of an argument everybody's so dogmatically tied to their position that they can't sit down and just have a discussion and right. learn from each other. Why do you think the way you do get an understanding of how you think and you got to give me an understanding of how I think and what I'm basing it on. Absolutely. Know? So let's just, let's jump right into it. Do you okay. think Christianity has had a positive impact on Western culture? And if so, how? Well, I think that it goes, it's pretty much, as we say, prima, prima facie, that um, Christianity has had a positive impact on Western society. In fact, I would have to say that Christianity, historically speaking, is one of the primary guiding factors, or uh, primary factors in how Western society itself formed, especially after the uh, after the uh, medieval times and after the fall of the Roman Empire. I think, uh, and this is, I guess, I should say this. This isn't coming so much from the perspective of a Christian, because this is really not a faith question. It is more of one of understanding history, understanding the history of our rule of law in society, understanding the culture from which we come from. And honestly speaking, you know, I, 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 a lot of times I don't like to use the term Western society because mm -hmm. the foundations of all this is at the beginnings of, of human society, I guess, you know, as far as our modern civilization, you know, starting in the uh, Mediterranean region and, you know, influencing the rest of the world. Right. But um, for the sake of the conversation, we're talking about obviously how we get here to the United States and the things that brought us through history that got us here at a point and how Christianity positively affected that. I believe it's quite clear it's been a positive influence overall, a net positive. That's okay. not saying it hasn't been negatives. You know, it's um, you weigh it out, you know, the good and the bad. So let me ask your opinion on this. I think now I will agree that there are positive aspects to Christianity. 
Um, I think it is many churches are a great place for people to feel welcome, uh, to have a sense of unity. And I'll never knock that. Uh, I have many issues, though, with religion and Christianity. And I'll just give one example, and I want to get your take on it. Uh, the vilification of homosexuality resulting in discrimination, um, parents disowning their children, kicking them out. I would say that's a huge negative. What, what do you think? Well, here's the thing. You know, um, we have to first understand established effect. When we're talking about Christianity, I'm talking about it as far as an influence of Western society that is a totalitarian, or I should say the totality of the church, meaning that from the original apostolic church with Jesus and apostles, all the way through the Roman Catholic Church, all the way through the break with the Eastern Orthodox, all the way with the break with the um, with the um, Protestant denominations. We're talking about the, I guess we're talking about the overall, I guess, ideology, for lack of a better term, not specific individual churches, because the church is an institution of people. It's just right. that simple. Absolutely. You know, we can say that it's about God. And I, I will say that there is a theological aspect and hopefully a spiritual aspect, I hope, in most churches. But overall, it's cultural. It is something that people do um, because they belong. There's, it's a club. Right. And I'm not saying this is a negative, but I'm saying that you will find different churches that whatever your philosophy is, if you're pro-homosexuality, you're going to find churches that are pro-homosexuality. Right. If you're against homosexuality, you'll find churches against homosexuality. If you're for interracial marriage, you'll find multicultural churches that have interracial couples. And then you'll find some denominations that still hold on that the races need to be separate. And they all base their opinions on the same Bible. Right. Now, Augustine would say those are non-essential doctrines. I know that in today's political society or today's modern political landscape, with our evangelical um, Christians on the right wing, they push a certain narrative and it's very loud. Right. At the same time though, I would say that there are left-leaning churches, politically left-leaning churches that are very open to um, gays and homosexuals and the LGBTQ community. And um, you know, and you have people in, in, in the mid-ground too that are open to it, but still go with the Bible saying that sex between anybody other than a husband and wife is considered fornication or adultery. Right. So what I've come to find in American churches particularly is the things like you're saying about homosexuality, that's really rooted in a person's sociological, cultural, and political thinking more so than a biblical one. It's sort of like... I always say people tend to try to make the Bible fit their politics, make Jesus Absolutely. fit who they are as, as politically, as opposed to them making themselves fit the model of Jesus Christ. It's one of the problems, one of my criticisms I would have with most American churches. You know, everybody, their politics pushes so much into it, and they try to justify bigotry or hatred or whatever, right. and they'll find some scripture out of any real particular context, historical context, or literary context to push their agenda. You know, I'll give you two sides of it. Um, one side from a more conservative Christian side, the most extreme position I believe that is biblically acceptable would be a person who says, um, I don't judge homosexual people. Grown adults do what they do. I won't engage in that type of sex because I believe the Bible says that sexual relations should be between a man and a woman, particularly a married man and a woman. And that's what I believe. However, 
It's my Bible. It's not yours. If you don't believe that, I'm not going to hit you over the head with it. I'm not going to try to force <laughs> my agenda. You know, it's this right. is my chosen. This is my chosen standard of how I'm going to philosophically guide my life. That's to one degree, and then you yeah, have another, I, the other degree to the left that would take the scriptures and say Old Testament scriptures that outline homosexuality the way they do. They would say they would make the theological argument that those specific things that they're talking about were, and I won't go deep into a theological discussion, but they would say those were things that were prohibiting, um, basically, for, I'm being, let me use the vernacular, people from being hoes, basically. <laughs> that should, yeah, because the, the homosexual sex you see talked about in the Bible is generally priests, and what the priests are doing, they're pharisaical and thinking, so they have wives. And this is still a practice in the Middle East, so this is a Middle Eastern thing. Right. They have wives, but to get past the rule of no adultery, well, I'll have sex with a, with a guy, and then it doesn't count. Believe it or not, that's how they thought. So, right. I mean, so I think that those are the different positions. I myself am of the position of this. I am not here to judge people's sins, whatever they may be. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to force my lifestyle on someone else. We're in the United States, we have freedom of religion. I don't want people ruling me by the Quran. You know, I want to eat pork chops. Quran says I can't. Right. It's nice if a Muslim tells me, hey, you know, you shouldn't eat pork chops because Quran says so. That's very nice, but I don't care. And that's what I think that most people who are living lifestyles outside biblical lifestyles, they say, hey, it's nice for you, it's not for me. Then that's the end of the discussion. But I do understand what you're saying, the harm that has come from people in these type of um, in these type of churches where, you know, they the Bible, I, I mean, I'm not going to preach, but Jesus doesn't teach for us to do that. To anybody. Even if I believe that you are living in absolute sin, if I believe that, Jesus' example, which a Christian is supposed to have, Christian is supposed to have a New Testament perspective. Right. And Jesus' perspective, as you see how he lived his life, the example, he was around prostitutes. All right. Clearly wrong. He didn't seem to comment on it. He talked to them about different things. He fed people who were hungry. He, uh, you know, he took care of people who were sick. He healed them. You so, know, would he you showed say Jesus yeah. was a socialist? Because I've seen well, many people say that lately. I know a lot of people say Jesus was a socialist. I think that, again, that's us trying to push our social political ideas and make Jesus fit our ideas. You know, I mean, socialism or capitalism themselves are simply tools of how humans interact with each other. Um, yes, you can see some socialistic aspects in the Bible as far as people living in a community lifestyle and taking care of the, the elderly, taking care of widows and orphans. You see a whole lot of things that we would consider socialistic. Right. At the same time, though, you have people who had great wealth in the Bible. Um, Solomon had great wealth. Abraham had great wealth. You know, there were people that Paul ministered to that were very wealthy that walked them into his home. You know, Jesus does talk about wealth, the love of money. It's not so much capitalism, but it's mm -hmm. the love of money being something that is a, a net negative. You know, so when Jesus preaches about money, he says we need it. But at the end of the day, should not be our God, basically, is what it comes down to. Okay. Uh, let me jump in. I want to backtrack just a little bit, um, just based on one of the comments you made. You had said that uh, in the Middle East, uh, people, to get out of committing sin, they would sleep with a man so it wouldn't be cheating on the words. Is that correct? That's true. That's how they thought. Do And I'm asking your opinion on this. Do you think homosexuality is a choice? Well, I'm be honest with you. Um, 
I don't think it is a choice. All right, let me tell okay. you what. Um, I remember when I was a kid, right? I don't know if I should tell the story, but <laughs> when I was, my mom was young. My mom had me when she was 17 years old. So I remember being about two, three years old, and some of her younger friends would babysit me. These were teenage girls, you know, 17, 18 years old. Okay. So she'd go out with my aunt and her friends, and these girls babysit me, about four of them. They lived in an apartment building we lived in. And they come over, and they would sit there, and, you know, they, you know, girls do what they do. But without fail, without fail, there was a point in the night where they would take off their, their clothes. Right. I'm, I'm a two or three year old kid, so they're not thinking. I remember back then waiting for that moment. I didn't choose that moment. That moment chose me. I don't think I don't think anyone would rightfully choose to do something to to say that they can't help being a certain way and deal with the persecution that, that the LGBT community deals with. You know, I don't think that's a choice. It's, okay. it's I don't think who you're attracted to, what you're attracted to is a choice. Now, do I think that there's some people who are just part of the vernacular, some people just freaks that are going to do anything they can do, experiment. Yeah, there are people like that. Right. You know, and I'm not saying that they're bisexual, I'm just saying that they don't care. There's people that just don't care. If it's there, let me try it. Is you there know? anything wrong with that, though? Well, grown adults, no. I mean, okay. within my biblical worldview, if they came to a church, my church, if I had a church and they came and they say, hey, I do this, okay, is it okay with the Bible? I'm going to say, well, no, the Bible teaches that you should have one partner that you shouldn't be sleeping around. That's what I'm going to tell them. They choose to do what they want to do. Um, however, I separate my, oh, I shouldn't say I separate. I understand that the type of society we live in is a society where we have the freedom as adults that we do. And I enjoy my freedoms to follow my face. So I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to tell someone, now if you, if you ask me what the Bible says, what this Bible says, I, I have friends that that have wives, okay? They go around sleeping with other chicks. That's what right. they do, all right? Now, do I judge them for it? No. But they ask me, hey, man, you know, what do you, what's the Bible say? Well, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. Well, now, they can say, okay, I whatever. To... I don't care what the Bible says. <laughs> well, yes, I will man. say, I, I agree with the Bible there. Not that I think it comes from the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. But, no, I agree. Uh, cheating on your wife is wrong. Um, well, that, now that, that brings us to a point. You said not that you believe it comes from. This is the point about the foundations of the rule of law in Western society. Okay. I think we talked about this before. The reason why you believe a man sleeping with a woman outside of his wife is wrong is clearly because of your cultural context being raised in the United States and the influence that Bible has had on how the rule of law looks in our society. That's why you feel that way. It, the, the Bible and Christianity have had a direct effect on how we look at law, morals, and ethics. Now, it's evolved since, you know, the uh, Enlightenment age. Right. All right. But overall, the foundations of our rule of law, a lot of that is predicated on Christian ideas predicated from the Bible. You know, so. But aren't those Christian ideas coming from other ideas, from older religions? Well, like in, many in, in the case of Christianity, Christianity. In, in the case of Christianity, and then, like I said, this is not I'm not going to say. This is not for me saying that Christianity is the best religion in the universe. It's the best one for me. You know, I do. I think it's the best. Yes. You know, however, in the historical context of our faith, we know our faith comes from the Judaic traditions of Abraham. We also know Abraham came from a place called Samaria. We know in Samaria they had their own written laws, one of which was the um, 
Hammurabi Code. Okay. Hammurabi Code was one of the oldest laws, or the oldest codified laws that we had. And we know there's a lot of a lot of things that are similar in the Hammurabi Codes that you will find in the Old Testament. And you will find them in various cultures as well. So, you know, it's we I'm not saying that Christianity has a trademark on okay. you know saying that this is sin. I'm simply saying that as defined in our culture, you know, when we go back, our culture is predicated on the Greek cultures, as you know, and from there the Roman cultures, and that's when the church begins to have much more influence at when the Roman Empire falls. And it's pretty much the church that holds everything together. I mean, the institution of the church that holds the West together during the Middle Ages. And from that, the Renaissance comes. And again, you have a lot of Christian thinkers, ideas. You know, Sir Thomas Aquinas, you know, many of the Enlightenment thinkers were Christians or deists. Um, right. you know, uh, John Locke was a Christian. I believe that um, Rousseau was a Christian borderline. So I think Voltaire might have been a deist. So. Just to be clear, you do recognize that Christianity, as you said, doesn't have a trademark on it, and they have gotten their ideology from many other religions over time. Wow, I just I totally think, drooled. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not. I, I think that Christianity obviously has a direct correlation with Judaism, obviously, or I should say, I should say the uh, Abrahamic faith, because Judaism, rabbinical Judaism, is a little bit different than what we see with from Abraham up to the Pharisees. A little bit different. Um, so there is a connection. You know, I say that Judaism and Christianity have, and even Islam, have a relationship to the basic faith of Abraham. They have a relationship to that. So where Abraham came from, he came with ideas and thoughts. And these ideas and thoughts are obviously going to be present within the culture of the Bible. With Christianity, Jesus did come and make some clarifications in, you know, to, um, to um, when he came. It became a new thing. It was no longer that the anyone who followed Jesus was be following the Old Testament law, the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, or the Ten Commandments. It was at this point Jesus said, I come with a new, a new covenant, and these are the two commandments I wish for you to follow. Love your neighbor, love God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and love God. So these, this is, so I almost, I think I talked to you about it, because I'm always wary when Christians reflect back to the Ten Commandments or the Torah, right. because that is really not the, the authority, the authority of Christianity, the, the authority of a Christian should be the words of Jesus and the example of Jesus. And that is very, it has a relationship to the Old Testament, but it is a very different thing also at the same time. Okay. Okay. Uh, I got a question from Puck I'd like to an, uh, ask based on our current discussion. It will come up. It's on the screen right now. Oh, I, I got uh, the little mini me screen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so because of how pervasive Christianity has been in Western and modern civilization, it seems impossible to determine which societal impacts were strictly and specifically because of Christianity. What can we look at in history that shows Christianity specifically was the cause of societal good and that good couldn't have come any other way? Well, I'm never going to say good couldn't have come any other way. You know, I've, I've studied religion. I've studied Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, um, Confucianism. I've studied the the, um, the religions of Africa, the religions of the Americas and Asia. Um, I wouldn't say that good can only come from Christianity. Right? So that's, you, yeah, that's not a statement I would make. I'm saying that the reality of this situation, and to his question, you simply look at the Middle Ages. If you look at the Middle Ages and you look at how the systems and institutions 
that we take for granted came into existence. They came into existence because of the church holding things together. You have to understand when just when um. So it sounds when, like uh, for the time, religion may have been a good idea to an extent back then. But realistically, well, why do we need it now? If if good well, outside of religion, if I can be a good person as an atheist, as a secular mm -hmm. humanist, mm -hmm. why do I need religion? What good? Well, here's the thing. I think we talked earlier. I don't think anyone needs religion to be a good person, whatever that religion is. I think that this is my belief. All right, my belief is every human being, regardless of what culture they come from or what point in history knows when they're doing wrong and they know when they're doing good. It's just, and we have, I think that as a Christian, the Bible teaches us there's a point at the beginning of humanity where we knew the difference between good and evil. This now, we talked about this. Before the Torah was written, all right, if you look back when we believe the story of Adam and Eve, for example, all right, if you believe it's figurative or literal, it's really irrelevant to the point. Right. It's telling us that at a point in history, humanity began to understand good and evil, right and wrong, all right? And it also tells us in the point of history, before there was any written law, this is before the Torah existed, there was no Torah, just long before Moses, when Cain killed Abel, long before Moses, it was wrong. Cain knew it was wrong. He hid the body, he lied to God. Mm -hmm. He didn't have the 10 commandments to tell him the murder was wrong. He knew he did that. And I believe every person knows that. I think in the context of a religion, Religion is not simply something to give us morality. I know that there are people who make the arguments that without religion, we would have no morality. Yeah, I, I hear that, that a lot. Yeah, I think that religion, um, working with the state, all right, it's like we go back to Samaria, the, the, uh, when we look at the Hammurabi Code, it mentions gods in there all the time, gods and kings. And, you know, if you do this against a god, it's wrong. So I believe that there's always religion was probably one of the first institutions upon which government came. All right. That's why I always find it funny that people, you know, um, think that they're don't get me wrong. I don't think that any religion should be be um, authorized by a government. I think that's bad. So you're uh, a firm believer in the separation of church and state. Completely. Yes. No religion. I don't believe that the government, number one, if we're talking about the establishment clause, I don't think the government should ever prefer religion, all right, or, or or force a religion on anybody. We agree. <laughs> yeah. But I do believe that religion as a human institution, even if you go back to Samaria and Mesopotamia, was probably one of the first sources of government over people, right? right? It's institutions made by people. So whatever religion it is, when people get together and start making rules, it becomes an institution of humanity. So I believe when we get to, to answer the gentleman's question, when we get back to the Middle Ages and everything is falling apart, Rome is falling apart, all right? What you see is because when, when I was, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here searching, you got me thinking so much politically, and I lost my feel like Constantine. <laughs> all right, when Constantine made Christianity a state religion, you see the religion itself start mirroring how the Roman Empire is structured, all right? They start having an influence over each other. You see that uh, Rome had governors, the church had bishops. They formed similar functions as far as who they oversaw, but for different reasons. And there was a relationship between the Roman Empire and the Christian church. They both influenced each other. When the Roman civil authority fell into chaos, 
the religious authority was still there. This is where during the Renaissance you get all these universities in Europe. They're all Christian universities. Mm-hmm. You know the um, the the, um, the disciplines of um, history, the discipline of philosophy, psychology, sociology. These all come from theology as a base when they started these universities in in Europe. So things evolved and things spread out, but they're the basis of it is the church. See, like when I talked to you about Neil deGrasse Tyson one time, we had, I told you one of the things I didn't like about Neil. You said he's can be dishonest with. Yeah, and this is one place to be dishonest. You know, he'll talk about, you know, the church and Galileo or the church and Copernic, uh, Copernicus and their disagreements. But what he won't talk about is the fact that all the ancient works and writings um, from, from Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, um, from the Roman historians and thinkers and philosophers and scientists, the church maintained that knowledge upon which they started. They didn't burn the books. That's what they started the university system with. In fact, during the golden age of Islam, Islam and Christianity had a very decent relationship before we get to the Crusades. And through that relationship between Islamic thinkers and Christian thinkers, mathematics was shared, algebra was shared, and the Arabs had some of the collective works of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle that the Christians didn't have because they had been, you know, misplaced, destroyed, or whatever, right. and they shared that knowledge. So, to the to your to the person's question, these institutions were formed, and it's historical. This is historical. This is not a faith issue. Right. This is happened in history. That these institutions form the foundations of the institutions that we have, the court system that we have, the university system that we have. That is a clear link to that. And that is the positive. Of course, there's going to be negatives. Anytime you get groups of people together, I don't care if they say they're doing it for the greatest good. You know, you're going to get somebody who wants some power, somebody who wants. And I'm going to say this with religious wars. Most of them were predicated on money. We're predicated on arguments. And that's the same thing we have wars for. We will always have those things. And even if you replace the institutions of religion with a so-called secular institution, you're going to get all the trappings of a religion because it's not so much that it's you're trying to model it after religion. It's just I, that this is how institutions form. Go ahead. Though. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say I have to disagree with you because being secular is just absent from religion. So it, it doesn't necessarily they're, they're not following God's rules. So it's simply I think that you misunderstand the term religion. All right. There's a rapper from back in the early 90s named Graham Verbalizer Funky Lesson Brother Jay from a group called the X-Clan. And he had a line. He said, my religion is reality. All right. And what he meant by that and what I try to share with people is a religion does not need deity. All right. That's that is a spiritual thing. I'm talking about religion. I'm not talking spirituality. Spirituality requires you. All right. Take, for example, you've heard of the Sadducees, right? Mm -hmm. Sadducees were priests. You do realize they were atheists, right? That I didn't know. No, they didn't believe. People say they didn't believe in a resurrection. People didn't believe in anything spiritual. Judaism to them was a cultural, social, political thing. And that was by how their power in the Sanhedrin came. Okay, so you have to understand. You probably have more atheists in organized religion than you do in secular humanism, my friend. All right, because religion does not. I would, I would, I would reject that. Okay, uh, I've been around I, a lot. I, 
I I've absolutely been reject that. I've been around a lot of theologians. I've talked to a lot of Christians. I'm trying to tell you, when pressed about spiritual things, when pressed about deity, you you kind of scratch past their cultural religion. I, I'm going to tell you this. Some of the the best conversations I have about spirituality have generally not been with Christians, because when you press a Christian, what I've come to find, a cultural Christian, I'm not saying a spiritual one. When you press a cultural Christian who's grown up in a church because that's how he was raised, he or she was raised, it's not a spiritual connection that they have. What they have is a religion. They have the camaraderie of their family, their friends, their peers. They believe, they say they believe in God until you press them on it. If you press them on it, you get to the root of what it is. There's a, there's a, a politic behind it. I think I've talked to you about individuals like that. So what I'm trying to say, they may not be atheists in the fact that they profess that there is no God. What I mean by atheist or secular humanist, I should say, they, the supernatural or spiritual things are not things they really believe. And that's and I'll leave it at that. But now, that doesn't, just to be clear, the, the atheism side only refers to the lack of belief in God. It, it doesn't. So you take the lack of belief in God out. All right. So you take a secular human society like the uh, Soviet Union, for example. I know a lot of people use this, but this is a real a real example. Okay. The Soviet Union um, was devoid of religion. All right. Atheistic, secular, humanist. OK, we know Joseph Stalin killed, what, 12 million Russians of his own people. And he didn't do oh, that. In insane. Right. Right. But I'm just simply saying this is a person and this is an ideology that was predicated on nothing theological, but he made himself a god. He named a city after himself, Stalingrad. All right, there were statues to him. You make, all right. So I, we got like, like Like the pharaohs of Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. Or the Caesars. We know they were human beings in history, right? But they were deified. And they had cults to form around. Look at Donald Trump here. This guy has a whole personality cult of people who worship him. All right. That is a religion. It's religious. If you look at everything they do, there's a religious aspect to it. What I mean by religion is form and fashion. So even within secular humanism. All right. I know you don't get together with a bunch of secular. You don't. But some do. Right. You don't get together. Every, I try every, to. It's hard to find. We can get together. But there is there are people who do, you know, and there is a structure there that requires. How should I say it? I don't say so much faith, but belief in something. You know, an abstraction. All right. Now, so you can take away the deity aspect of it, but people replace it with something at all times. And then they go out and do crazy things. Look at this. Like I said, the Soviets is an extreme example. OK, well, um, I, I, I want to backtrack a little bit because we got a, a bit off topic. But a, a couple, yeah, I'm sorry. no, that's OK. Uh, um, yeah. A couple questions, though, or just actually there's a lot of questions, but I have two ones that ideally if you give a quick answer for. Okay. What is your opinion on in God we trust on our money and uh, under God in the pledge? Do you really want my honest opinion? Yeah, <laughs> no, seriously. Okay. Because there's a scripture in the Bible. Say, and there's a scripture in the, in the New Testament. I don't know the exact address of the scripture. I believe it's Apostle Paul saying that someone told them they believe in God. And he said, oh, you know, the devils believe in God. Okay. But to us, there is one God and Christ is his son. So he makes a distinction. The terms in God we trust from a basic sociological, political perspective, before mm -hmm. I go to a different perspective, those are terminology. That's terminology that's utilized. Um, it, at best, 
the people were trying to reflect back to the founders talking about a creator in a general sense. Um, obviously, it's not Christological in intent. It's not Christian in intent, regardless of what American Christians believe, because it's absent the word Christ. You know, a Christian, well, a Christian say their prayers in God in Christ Jesus. We don't, so if you don't see Christ in it, it's not a Christian idea. Now, the more cynical side of me says, in God we trust, you know, what is their God? You know, so, to me, their God would be wealth, in my opinion. So real quick, yes or no, it should remain on the money or be taken off the money and out of the pledge? I believe it should be taken off the money and out of the pledge. Well, as far as a pledge, I think that people who believe in deity should be able to say, if that's what you believe, that's what you say. If you don't, when you say the pledge, you don't say that part. It's just that simple. There are people. I know that, it's simple, and, but right, there are people that have an oath. If I'm a Christian, I take an oath. I'm gonna put my hand on the Bible. If a Muslim is going to take an oath, he's gonna put his hand on the Quran. And if you're neither, don't. I think that's the free. That's what our establishment clause clause establishes that those of us who do believe in God, we can pray to God in public and we can do our pledges in public because if a Christian does a pledge or does an agreement with you and he does not seal it that way, then you probably should be concerned because that so, means to them. Uh, real quick, uh, Marsha said this is, sorry, mom, this is part of a culture, leave it on. I, I disagree. It wasn't added until, and he may correct me on the date, uh, mm -hmm. 1954 is when they added it in a response to communism. Uh, money, it was on prior to that, but not completely. So it wasn't until then when we went, when we were rallying against communism and we were essentially scared of atheists that we added this as a response. So mm -hmm. therefore it hasn't even been on our money for the majority of American history. It's been added and well, it thus should be removed. Otherwise it was, it was yeah, I'm, it's showing that it was first put on money in 1864. It was sporadically put on money in 1864. Well, now, you have to think about the time period of 1864. When did the United States really start as a country? Think about this. The United States starts as a British colony, correct? Mm -hmm. All right. British colonies. All right. And they join together and they form a nation after a revolutionary war. The United States does not have an independent identity outside of the United Kingdom up until the War of 1812. You don't really get a United States, an American identity to get to President Jackson. And then, of course, we have that Civil War thing. That's a pretty big thing. It almost destroys the country. <laughs> All right. And then at the end of the Civil War, looks like is when we begin to start seeing this phrase. So culturally, I think it is cultural. I have to agree with your mother. I believe it's a cultural thing in that aspect. And um, honestly, I don't I'm not an atheist person, so I don't know if I would be I don't know if I'd be offended if I was. You know, to me, it's no big deal, but I can understand why someone would feel it's a big deal. To them. But I, as far as the money, I think it's just cultural. It's there, you know. Um, I, I, however, as far as a pledge, of course, you shouldn't have to say in God we or one nation under God. Skip the line. You should not be compelled to say the line. You should not be compelled to say the Pledge of Allegiance, period. But absolutely. We agree. If you so choose, if you so choose then you either say it or you don't. You know, it depends on your personal convictions. So uh, just real quick, yes or no, before I get to my other question. Are mm -hmm. you, do you support people who kneel during the national anthem? Okay, now you put me in a trick bag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll answer it first. I 100% you know. 
support it because that is what freedom is. Freedom in America is the choice to say, I don't agree with what's happening in this country. My, my people are being arrested, killed. So therefore I'm going to kneel. I, it's not like they're, they're being disrespectful. They're, they're showing that they're, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this without offending anybody, but I, I don't understand how any logical person can have an issue with somebody kneeling. Our Let's country see. is founded on freedom. To give you an example, I want to use a, a quote from somebody, and this may upset some people, but I want to be very clear. I am personally not saying this. I am mm -hmm. repeating what uh, I heard uh, Matt, a Marine veteran, say. He said, I had no issue. Uh, I would never burn a flag until the second they said, I can't burn the flag. Then I take a video camera and show off me burning a flag. Now, I will personally never burn a flag. Even if someone tells me to do it or tells me I can't do it, I'll never, ever burn an American flag. However, I, if somebody decides they want to do that, that is their free choice. We are not a communist country we are, we're free. They should be allowed to express that freedom with its limitations as long as it's not harming anybody. Okay. So that is how far freedom should go. Someone should be able to express themselves in any way they want as long as it doesn't negatively impact another individual's well-being. Okay, well, there's two things I want to unpack in what you just said. Mm -hmm. Remember when I told you that you can have religion without having a God, right? I want you to remember that. Okay. I am a United States Marine veteran as well. I remember when this whole thing with Kaepernick came up because I'm a 49ers fan. I remember the first person who asked me about it, how do you feel about it? I didn't even know about it. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I just, I probably wouldn't agree with that. I'm a Marine. All right. However, once I actually got to look at what the situation was and what he was doing, I guess to me, I've always been around people who have chosen not to say the Pledge of Allegiance because of religious or personal reasons, mm -hmm. or to say, or to recite the Star Spangled Banner because of religious or personal reasons, which is their right. So it was never a big deal to me, all right? How I personally felt about it, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever. But as it became a politicized issue, that's when I became to get concerned about it and really look and see what was going on. Um, one, actually listen to the whole Star Spangled Banner, it's a real, racist slavery stuff in, in the verses we don't say i'm like maybe we should switch to america the beautiful number one <laughs> number two um i don't find it disrespectful at all and i get i've gotten into a lot of arguments with people you know they'll say oh this is disrespectful to the veterans i'm a veteran i don't really feel particularly disrespected because colin kaepernick or whoever decides to kneel he has a point it's freedom of speech exactly you know um i agree with the statement you quoted the other marine and saying you know, you know, I wouldn't have a problem burning the flag until I, I wouldn't burn a flag until you tell me I can't do it. I think that's a pretty, pretty good way of saying it. in the United States, our freedom and liberty, these concepts, which also come from Christianity, we'll talk about later, but <laughs> those concepts of individual liberty and freedom, if it's not harming you, then you it's your right. You know, right. you I mean, there are limits to our rights, of course. But if you want to kneel when the when the Star Spangled Banner, the Pledge of Allegiance is being recited and you're doing it for whatever reason, I don't care if you're doing it just because you're tired. 
I don't care. That's your right. I'm not offended. Exactly. Right. Now, let me talk to you about religion. All right. This is what I mean by religion without a God. The same people that got upset about Colin Kaepernick kneeling because, you know, oh, my God, it's the flag, all that stuff. These are the same people that were cheering on these ministers down in the South that were burning Korans, which was disrespectful to Muslims. They were cheering it. They couldn't understand why Muslims were mad. They need to get over to just a book. Because they think Muslims are evil. Right, but it's just some cloth. It's a flag. Right. All it is is cloth. But this is the American religion, right? The religion of America. It has has doctrine, which is the idea of democracy and capitalism, more capitalism than democracy, if you talk to people, of course. It has um, deities and our founding fathers. They always like to go back to, and they've lifted up and put them on this deified level where if you even say like Thomas Jefferson had sex with one of his slaves, people lose their mind until the DNA test come back because you, <laughs> now you've disrespected one of their gods. Right. Um, it has symbolism, religious symbolism. A flag is symbolism. It's a flag, it's a, but it, it takes on a, a religious component to people. They, I saw people start raving insanely mad about this guy kneeling. I couldn't even understand it. Right. I'm, what the it actually made me concerned you know i mean it showed a lot of latent white nationalism a lot of latent racism and it was more of a how dare you how dare you do this we allow your black butt to play football we allow and you got a white parent so what is this man i'm like and the issue itself that he was kneeling about about police brutality and i think that that to me i'm like okay that's really that's bringing some awareness to the problem, but it's really not dealing with the problem, in my opinion. But, I, I hey, completely agree. You know, but do your thing. You know, at least you're bringing some awareness to it. I'm not mad right. at you for it. You know, do your thing. Uh, I, you know, I, I just, to me, I think people like freedom until they want to get in their feelings about something. You know, I don't think you should go out of your way to offend people. You know, I have the freedom to of burn. I have the freedom to burn a Quran. Am I going to do it? No. Why would I want to? Why would I want to? disrespect the group of people. I don't understand. To me, it's a book. It's paper. You know, we Christians, we look at our Bibles a little differently. It's just paper. But they look at it as a sacred thing. So why would I go out of my way to disrespect someone? Exactly. I I feel the same. Yeah, it's Um, sort of like when I'm in the United Kingdom, you know, I don't say disparaging marks against the royal family, you know, because I know they're sensitive about that. The average person on the street, they get sensitive. You make some jokes about the royal family, you might get beat. I know. You know, so... People in America... Oh, I apologize. Go ahead. No, but I'm simply saying that there is no need to disrespect people, you know, but if you have a purpose, Copernet's not wasn't doing that just so I can make people angry. No, he wants to make people think. And I personally think he succeeded in showing us how much how much latent racism is actually out there. And it's just a timing with with Trump becoming president and the white nationalism that he the phraseology that he utilized with white national. I think it's just, it was a time, it really showed a lot of true colors of people, honestly speaking. I agree. And and to be honest, I, so I, I was raised, I want to say very conservative. I, I read the, uh, the, the Limbaugh letter every month. My grandpa got it in. Um, very right wing to the point that, you know, if someone burned a flag, I, I would freak out. What are you doing? You're disrespecting the soldiers. Um, mm-hmm. anything like that, when people would talk about taking in God, we trust, uh, 
off money, I'd be like, oh, don't be a baby. You're just being offended. I just, I had this bl mental block in my mind that prevented me from seeing the whole picture. And to me, it's rooted in two things in one theism, Christianity, and two, this obsession with American pride. I am, pr I, I like my country. There is a reason I criticize it because it can do better. It, it doesn't mean I hate it. It just means we're not doing enough. We need to do a better job. But people take this American pride just to the extreme, to the point that they literally cannot comprehend somebody kneeling. They, they can't comprehend someone refusing to say the pledge. They just automatically, oh, anti-American. And it's like, no, no, it's not. That is literally representing yourself as an American. I would, if I was next to Colin Kaepernick, I would kneel right with him because I want to show that I support what he's doing as a, quote, real American, because yeah. people love throwing that around. Well, I look at it like this. Like I said, I served the United States Marine Corps, um, reserve the Marine Corps, reserve the Air Force. I got three honorable discharges. It looks good on paper, but it really is that impressive. I wasn't like fighting World War II or Vietnam or something. But I will say this, that I love the United States of America. Same. I love and I criticize my country because I love it, you know? Exactly. There, there, if you can't say how we can do better, that's the most American thing you can do. We should all, this country has continually, our country has principles, again, rooted in Christianity, purely rooted in Christianity. When the Puritans came over here, that's what they was on. They wanted to make a city in the hill light the world could look at. That's what they wanted to do. So we do have a lot of that puritanical um, culture within American culture. And obviously our founders, some of them were Christian, some were deists, but they understood the Enlightenment. They understood the Renaissance. They understood Rome. They understood the philosophers of, of the Greek philosophers. And they established our republic. They looked back on the Magna Carta and other, other laws, and they, they came up with what we have here in the United States. And it's a beautiful thing. The idea was here. We were here. All right. We start a place that says liberty and justice and freedom for all people. And we have slaves off the bat. So we're already starting off on the wrong foot. But even the founders knew that that was going to have to be resolved at some point. You know, and it did. You know, um, I'm sure the people in the United Kingdom were waiting for us to have a civil war anyway. They thought it would happen soon, right. sooner than later. Um, during the War of 1812, there was a lot of Americans who still considered themselves British. So a lot of Americans considered themselves British. So when they went to war. They thought, okay, they're about to come back. You know, if they if they had a time it a little better, if they had waited to the Civil War to make that move, we probably would be Brits again. You know, they just uh, I would suck. They pulled the trigger too early. But oh. what I guess my point is that um, our country has the idea, and we strive for it. Eventually, we took care of the thing with only landowners voting and having certain rights. Uh, eventually, past that, we brought African Americans to have suffrage. African American men, of course. Then we look at it, you know what? We're doing this thing with women wrong, let's change it. So we continue to change and grow. And anything that's alive is gonna to have to grow. Anything that's dead is the only thing that stays in one state, well, it decays, I guess. But anything living is going to grow, it's going to change. And for the positive, it should be for the positive. We should be striving to be more like the principles of liberty and justice and freedom that we say we're established on. We should right. push further towards that. And I think the problem with Kaepernick, you have to understand, I'm, you know, obviously I'm African-American, 
So I see the world probably a little bit differently than you would when it comes to these sort of things. Absolutely. Really, and I'm not saying that you don't understand. So no, I, I didn't take it like that. You don't have to watch. You don't ever have to watch yeah. your language around me. I don't get offended. So well, well, I didn't take it like that there, at all. For the folks out there listening, I'm not saying it's a black thing you don't understand. I'm saying obviously how we're where we're born, what families we come from, what areas we grow up in geographically, it does have, you know, it does have an effect on your worldview, how you see the world. Like you told me how you saw the world, you know, when you were growing up, and I saw the world a certain way. As an African American male, you know, I, I grew up in Aurora, so you know, I, okay. I saw certain things, and I go to Chicago, and I saw certain things, and I've been to Los Angeles and New York, and I've seen certain things with the police. Now, full disclosure, I'm a member of the Fraternal Order of Police, okay, by occupation, by my occupation, which I won't go into, but I'm a member of the Fraternal <laughs> Order of Police, right? Um, by the way, uh, Rick uh, Lockhart in the comments, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just thought this was important. He did want to thank you for your service. Uh, oh, Rick Lockhart was the individual I spoke with uh, last week. Okay. Well, tell him I appreciate it. Tell him I said thank you. So apologies. Yeah. Didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no problem. But um, in regard to the issue with the police and the African-American community, this is a political one. It's one rooted in history. Obviously, we as black folks don't have too good of a history with the police. Ever no, of course since, not. Ever since back during slavery when the U.S. Marshals were the ones that would sometimes track down fugitive slaves. So we started off on the wrong foot with law enforcement. Obviously, because of Jim Crow, after the Civil War, you know, blacks are still being oppressed. The police was often the tool utilized to oppress blacks, even in the North. In the South, it was the sheriffs. They were many times Klan's members. In the North, it was still people who had racial attitudes towards African-Americans and being superior. You know, um, the first black police officers that we had, I believe it was in the early 20th century, they weren't even able to arrest white people. They can only deal with black people. They would not. They couldn't arrest white people. They couldn't even address those issues. And, and as time, I, sorry, as I just time, it, <laughs> apologies. No and when you bring that up, it's just it's incredibly frustrating to me because I I genuinely try and put on a cap and process. Okay, why is somebody racist? Why does somebody actually think that black people should be treated differently than white people? And I I I, I can't comprehend it. Like. Even looking back to 100, 200 years ago, like, why? Excuse my language, but why the F would somebody treat somebody else differently just because they look different? It's it's well, asinine. That's that's humanity, my friend, unfortunately. We always find reasons to feel better than this group or that group. Right. That's just that's in, that's in our history. When the idea of race and a little history, the idea of race that we, the idea of white and black as races, race groups, that doesn't exist in our history until the late um, 14th century, basically. 1500s is when you begin to see this crystallize. Um, this idea crystallizes to facilitate, obviously, the transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. Because they're black people, we're white people. How do I sell this to a bunch of Christians in England or a bunch of Christians in, in, uh, in Spain, the Catholic Christians? How do I sell this? We know what the Bible says, that we're all God's children. How do I, as a businessman, go back to these same people and convince them, let me enslave these people and sell them for a profit and treat them like cattle, right? Mm -hmm. Not like historical slavery that you see in African or European or Middle Eastern societies of people basically being bondsmen to people until they got their, bought their freedom that they clearly knew were human beings. They had to sell 
that this group of people isn't human. They had to sell it. So they go back to Spain, Portugal, England, they sell it. You know, you know what? They're really not human. They're, they're not even Christian. We'd be doing them a favor if we went and converted them. And if they work for us as slaves, it's a good thing. They got to sell it. All right. So you keep selling it and you sell it. And by the way, we are superior. And then you got propaganda. They're animals. They eat other people. Um, they, they are ravenous. They, they, they will just grab and rape women. That's how they live like savages. So you, you, you have to force that, that narrative to the point where people believe it. All right. And then everybody wants to feel better than somebody. I mean, you got to look at it like this. We're talking about a world where, you know, you had people going to debtors prison still. Right. So you got people that are poor as heck being locked up, but they can feel better than a black guy because I'm not a slave. Right. And it wasn't a very easy sell. If you look at the early um, 1600s in the United States or the colonies, the white indentured service and the black slaves often revolted quite frequently. They got on the same page pretty quick. They were able to realize we're in the same social economic position. In fact, they used to marry and have children with each other all the time. Right. However, the, the law started changing because the powers that be realized we got to keep this separation in order to keep control. If I'm a rich landowner and I got a hundred white serfs or a hundred white poor whites from England or Ireland as slaves or indentured servants, and I got a hundred black African slaves and I'm treating them all the same way, they're going to keep figuring it out, which is what they did. Right. So they keep figuring out, they keep revolting. The people who the landowners are like, look, we got to come up with something, man. This is going to be rough, man. How, how are we going to keep these people in line? We got. We can't. They are members. What we do? Tell the white ones they can be white now. Tell the Irish ones they can be right now. Because the Irish ones were considered white off the bat. Neither were Slavs. Neither were, were Mediterranean people. But oddly, you know, the country's named after the Italian. But Italians weren't even looked at as white people. You no. know, white at that time. White at that time was your your Brits, your Scots, um, Germans, um, Dutch people, um, Spanish, and the French. Everybody else, eh, not not really. Right. right. So as history goes, as we go from the 1600s, the, the definition of whiteness grows to include these groups for a pure political motive. Mm -hmm. The motive is we can't keep these people realizing they're in the same state of these slaves and getting together. And that's a dangerous situation. It's already dangerous enough. You got all these slaves that might turn against you. But if you get the poor population to jump on the same page. So it's a propaganda tool control. I keep telling you, these people aren't human. These people are, are dogs, they're animals, and they're beneath you, and you're better than them. I and just so, don't understand why people could even believe that, though. It's just it's social sex, it's social and, psychology. So, I mean, you got people that they believe it. With all and, the technology and wisdom we have, we have people that truly believe that they are, are superior to black people and just because they're white. You know, I, I've seen this quite frequently. I've talked to I a few white supremacists, and, you know, and they feel that way. I talked to white supremacists one time, we talked about history. He was Odin, that was his religion. And we talked about Odin and, you know, the old Norwegian gods. And as we were talking about him, he said, oh, you're very intelligent. He said, you must have some white blood because I couldn't possibly oh. be intelligent. He literally, he literally. <laughs> that pisses literally, me off. He literally attributed my intelligence to, you know, me having some white ancestry. And I was like, fascinating, you know. Eventually, he did come around and change his way of thinking. So that's a different story for a different day. However. Sure. However, you have to understand people, there's a psychology behind that. There's a social psychology behind that. 
and it's pressed by those in control. It, it's a way of controlling. You remember I told you the first time we talked, I said the biggest victim of the idea of white supremacy is white people. Yes, I remember but, you saying that. Yeah, white people who buy into that. It's sort of it's, it's one of those things that you know how they use it to keep the slaves and the indentured servants separate. Well, when we get to the labor movement during the Gilded Age, they use the same racial ideology to separate black workers from white workers in order to try to, to, to crush the union movements at that time. So even now, in our current modern social political landscape, you see a, a push to keep black working class people separate from white working yep. class people. Well, and I would, I would challenge any, well, I guess anybody, but I would like to say any white person because white people are usually the ones that say racism doesn't still exist. Come <laughs> with me maybe once a month. I, I don't DJ as often as I used to, but if you came with me even once a week when I was DJing five nights a week and alcohol got going, you would see the racism. Do you know how many times based on the music I played, I got called the n-word followed by lover oh, just because i it's like what what is wrong with you and one of the I most crazy examples was I, I if this wasn't at a wedding i would have lost my shit but I, i'm in a wedding uh the dj's with me he, he's black and he asks the older gentleman to move the the guy said his beer on my speaker so he politely asked them to move it and this asshole and yes, I'm going to call him an asshole. He replies with, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to rap for me or bust something out? I literally, like, I'm sitting there clenching my fists like this. And I look at Brandon, and he's he's one of the calmest people. And I see him for a moment, take a deep breath, and then he just stops. He's like, nope, I'm just asking you to move your drink. And I, the amount of respect and character it takes to withstand somebody being a blatant racist asshole is unbelievable because it wasn't even an attack on me and i wanted to go after this guy like so anyone who thinks racism doesn't exist go to a bar on a regular basis and you will see it firsthand um there are a lot of comments we got to unpack here yeah, um, so, we covered a lot of things yeah and there's still a lot more to cover but Right. Uh, real quick, I do. I, I got to promote my schedule. So uh, tomorrow night, I'm really excited. Larry, the I'll be taking a back seat and moderating. Uh, Larry, the Christian will be debating Kevin on the topic of how do you know? Um, that's at 9.32 tomorrow night. Then uh, I should have had this schedule up in front of me. Uh, 3.29 this, this Sunday. Sorry. Yeah, 3.29 this Sunday. Stephanie Kazier, we're talking about vaccines and informed consent. Uh, she'll be talking about it from a perspective of someone who is, I don't want to say anti-vax, but someone who isn't necessarily for vaccines. Uh, April 7th, the following one, the reason you and I started talking is my return debate with uh, Joel Setacase, the Christian apologist. Oh, yeah. So this time, I'm not letting him get me on the ropes. Definitely not doing that. Um, April 14th is going to be Lucas Goliath, Science and God. So he went to school for physics. Um, and now I, I apologize. I don't remember what he's getting his master's in, but he said science got him to God. So that is going to be our topic. And then uh, 421, it's going to be Larry the Christian and I uh, with an open topic. 
So um, let's try and address these comments real quick. Uh, Trina's, this one was a, a while back, but what are your thoughts on Jesus being raised and living as a Jew, then as an adult getting baptized and becoming a Christian? I feel he just went on preaching what was then taught by him, someone else. Okay, well, Jesus wasn't a Christian, <laughs> all right? Jesus was raised in a... Hebrew Jewish household, obviously. Um, Jesus grew up. He went to the synagogue. He preached in the synagogue his first sermon. Um, the first Christians are the apostles that followed Jesus because, obviously, a Christian is simply this, one who follows Christ. Obviously, Jesus was Jesus Christ, the anointed uh, Messiah. You got the Hebrews now, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Adonai, Sakinu, who want to get all Hebrew about it. But we know that Jesus in Christ was his title, being the anointed one. Right. So initially, this the um, what do you call the um, Nazarenes, right? The Nazarenes, the followers of Jesus. You had basically before Jesus came, you had a few sects of what was the uh, what would ultimately lead to Judaism. You had the the Essenes who were more mystical. You had the um, Obviously, the Pharisees, who you've heard about, you know, they're they're popular. And then you had the Sadducees. Then you had the Zealots. And then you still had some Maccabees rolling around trying to do that gangster thing. Right. So Jesus comes along. Um, we don't we don't we're not ever given exactly what group Jesus belonged to when he mm. his family belonged to. Some people believe a scene. Some people believe Pharisees. It all depends on the person. But there's nothing that tells us which. Jesus grows up. He goes into his ministry. And then he gets the apostles, all right, or the disciples at that time. And then he begins to preach his message. And he says from the beginning, he says, the law and the prophets, meaning the Old Testament, the law being the books of the Torah, the prophets being the books of the Nevim, the law and the prophets were, meaning were, I don't know if I got to go in the Greek version of were, but were means past tense. He says, until John the Baptist, and John the Baptist taught, um, you know, um, repentance of sin and baptism. He said, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. That means every man, Jew or Gentile. Right. So at this point, Jesus begins the ministry of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That is basically the message of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the kingdom of God. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It obviously rubs the Pharisees and Sadducees the wrong type of way. Sadducees were easily rubbed wrong because they didn't believe in deity anyway. So they were political. Right. The Pharisees had to contend with Jesus more on a theological level because they claimed they believed in God. And he kept exposing their hypocrisy in regard to the things that they would do, the things they say, but things you do. So and then that's when Jesus gave the definition of the faith that we follow as Christianity, the essential tenets. So, yes, Jesus was raised as a Jewish person. And the original religion of the Nazarene faith, all right, they were still Hebrews, all right? They were not, they didn't start, oh, okay, we're Christians now. They they called themselves Nazarenes. Those are the followers of Jesus Christ. They were still going to the temple, all right, until things got bad in Palestine over there, Roman Palestine. They got bad. The Jews were being dealt with harshly by the Romans. The temple ended up being destroyed in 70 AD, I believe. And ultimately, the rabbis, the Pharisees said, OK, look, 
Pharisees got gangster about it. They said, okay, you gonna be no more. Yeah, Pharisees got gangster about it. They said, ain't gonna be no more. Ain't gonna be no more scenes. Ain't gonna be no more Sadducees. Ain't gonna be no more zealots. You know, like when Chuck Knight was on uh, on uh, the awards, when he said, you know, y'all come over to death row. But he said, they Pharisees, y'all come over and be Pharisees. This is what we gonna do. Rabbinical right. Judaism is really born at that point in time. Think of Rabbi Gamaliel. He's one of Paul's teachers, I believe. So at that point, he says, okay, everybody in the temple, either you're rolling with the Pharisees or you're rolling out. Everybody else agreed. The Nazarenes had this one little problem. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So that ideology didn't go along with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees said, okay, y'all kick rocks. So they got kicked out the temple. <laughs> it's just that simple. And this is when the the organization, the, the, the first church begins, which is what we call the apostolic church, started by the actual apostles. That church begins, and that's when the faith of Christianity begins. Simultaneously, when the Pharisees do that, that's when rabbinical Judaism, the Judaism we know today, begins also. So they kind of begin at the same point where they split from the traditional Hebrew faith. This has been really educational. I I'm literally sorry. could listen to you talk all day. Um, question from your, uh, your friend, D. William Davis. Oh, I, I got a question. Was was Jesus actually black? You know what? When I see you tomorrow, <laughs> David, we're going to talk about this. Okay. Remember I just told you that blackness and whiteness didn't exist until the you know, late 14th century. Okay. All right. This is when you begin to see people identified as such. Don't get me wrong. We always, there are, you always see people described as either Nubians or, you know, you people talk about skin tone. But no one looked at themselves as different races. They thought themselves as different people groups, obviously different nations. But, you know, the Egyptians and the uh, people from um, Axum, Ethiopia now, you know, and they was all part of the, the Mediterranean world. So there were black people, brown people, white people. You know, that's where Europe and Asia and Africa touch, which is actually, I think, poetic into why so many things happen in that part of the world. So at that time, nobody's looking at it that way, you know. It's just black guy. Nobody's really looking at it that way. Obviously, now in American society, <laughs> the question is relevant. Is it relative on a spiritual level? No, it's not relative on a spiritual level. Spiritual level, if Jesus was what we would consider black or white. Sociologically, it is actually an important question because black people in this country have been taught since we've been brought here as slaves that we ain't we ain't anything. God hates us. All that you know, right. stuff. Like that. If Jesus were walking around in the United States today, he would probably be considered black. And what I mean by that, he would look. And what I mean by black, let's go. Let me explain what being a black person in America is. I'm black glad you're saying that because Rick yeah. Lockhart said define black. The black in America ranges from Vin Diesel to Wesley Snipes. Okay, that's a range of color. An African-American in the United States is a person with African ancestry from the Western or Southern Bantu people where our slave ancestors were taken from. So now as far as people identifying themselves as black, you have some people who chose not to, who had a black grandparent, an African grandparent, okay? They had three European grandparents, one black one, and they had blue eyes and blonde hair, and they said, I'm passing, I'm not doing this, and can you blame them? Right. This was happening you know, during Jim Crow times. You know, I'm passing, you know. But then you had some people with the same makeup, genetic makeup, that look white and say, no, no, my granddad's black, I'm black. So really, you know, I know our our country had a definition of blackness being the one-eighth rule, which I guess one great-grandparent being black makes you 
an African-American makes you a black person. Um, now, you know, with a more enlightened society, people consider themselves biracial or mixed race. You know, I have no problem. You identify yourself, but I do try to tell people the social political reality of how you'll be looked at, right. you know, in society. Like Barack Obama, clearly half black, half white, right? However, he's considered a black man. But, okay. but he's, never mind, I was going to make a bad joke and say, but he's not American. For the record, I'm joking. I, 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 I know he's American. Please, no one think I'm saying right. he's not. So, by the modern social, political, and cultural definition of what a black person is in the United States of America, mm. yes, Jesus probably would be considered black. Like, you know, like um, Shamar Moore or other light-skinned blacks like Vanessa Williams, you know what I mean? Hey, we, we come in a range. We come from light to dark. We come from we look like we're white until you know we you, we look like we just stepped off the plane from Nigeria. So we got that range. And in that range of blackness, yeah, Jesus probably would have been considered that. That's, that's, that's a guess. I'm sure he's probably a brown person because there's some Arab people that would be considered black. Right. You know, I've, I've run into some Palestinians who I thought were African-Americans until they started talking. Like, oh, I didn't know. You know, so it all depends. You know, it's funny how race is looked at. If you're in Saudi Arabia, I could have one Arab parent and one black parent and look just like I look right now. Right. All right. And they're still going to call me Arab because that's how they look at it. You know, they look at it the other way. Any part Arab, all Arab. All right, over here, the way whiteness, you see, the problem is whiteness is always going to protect the class. Remember, I told you people had to get brought into the whiteness game. You know, um, Irish people didn't really get their full white card till about the late 1800s. You know, um, people from um, 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 Slavic countries didn't really get their whiteness card until <laughs> right before war. Seriously, they did. They were right. not considered white. Italians oh. weren't considered white. So. We, we do have a lot of questions uh, to, to finish okay. up here because we're well over time. Um, and there I'm is sorry. one. No, man, I, I love talking to you. But I don't even uh, think we talked about our topic. But no, <laughs> we started and we got we just went so the other good. direction. And I have a whole list that I can't even get to. Um, so real quick, before I get to these questions, there is one story I'd like to tell. Um, so based on the last video I did with Rick, um, that my friend Alex directed someone to me. There is an individual named Charlie from the trans community. Mm-hmm. Now, he uh, called in to talk heathen a year and a half ago. He has extremely, extremely Christian parents to the point that the father and pastor tricked him into an exorcism because he believed that would get the demon slash trans out of him so this person has apparently turned to many people for help and keeps getting told you can't win this is a battle you lose don't bother so i mean he was happy that i'm willing to help but i'm surprised no one else was um the essentially so i he wants me to debate his pastor and family and i recommended we switch it to more of a discussion not a debate I met with the parents this past Saturday, and man, the dad is intense. To give you an example, he needed to speak with me to make sure I wasn't, and I quote, a a Christian-eating monster. I'm not joking. That is the type of people we're dealing with. So 
Charlie, if you're listening, I'm going to do everything I can to help you. Um, I actually spent someone from Belgium reached out to me and I spent 90 minutes on the phone with them talking about trans rights, the science behind trans. And I learned a lot. But at the end of the day, they said it's going to be really hard for me to get through to them. Now, my goal isn't necessarily to change their mind. It's to get them to, one, recognize Charlie's preferred pronouns. And two, get them to stop trying exorcisms. Because exorcisms, praying the gay away, it doesn't work. And I, I feel terrible for this person. So... In, if you could keep it under a minute, do you have any advice for me in dealing with these people that are that close-minded to the point that they believe he's possessed by a demon? That's a hard thing to deal with. I'm be honest with you. When people have their worldview and it's predicated on that, you know, there's still a worldview. Obviously, right. something that's taught, something that they believe that is very, you know, serious to them. Again, I think I told you before, the only thing I would talk to them about is regard to understanding human physiological things. I don't know how science-based they are, but it's just the mind, Not body, you know, all physical things that, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a spiritual person. Do I believe there's a time to cast out a demon? Yeah, sure. You know, but do I believe that psychological or physiological things are necessarily demonic? No. And do I believe, you know, that Maybe you can. I don't know. I never limit the power of spiritual things. It could be a spiritual issue. I've come to find that a lot of times things are psychological issues that people think are spiritual ones. Mm -hmm. However, honestly, the only thing you should be trying to get them to understand is respect and love their child regardless of how they feel. That's just, it's just that simple. You're not going to change how they feel, but they need to respect and love their child. It's just that simple. I agree. And, you know, he's not serial killing people come on i mean it's no, like, exactly like it's, just accept him for who he is and like this goes back to what i said about it being a choice you don't choose that sort of thing no all right you don't and let me be clear you know i know people who don't like using the idea i don't say mental illness what i will say is that we do have you know a means in our in in how our brains work some things right. are what are not considered the norm meaning the means mathematically Right. You know, so some people fall in that category. It's clearly a psychological thing. All right. And if that's it, then you got to respect that. You know, right. you, you got to respect that. It is what it is. You know, as, so as it was explained, as it was explained to me, and I'm probably going to butcher this explanation. So please correct me. Anyone from the LGBTQI plus community, if you're in there um, from how uh, he explained it to me, was that. uh the body and mind, it's not damage, it's not illness. They just begin developing separately. So essentially, the the mind doesn't line up with the way the body is developing. So for example, if they were going to develop into a girl, but their their mind uh, I'm butchering this. I should well, not even be I, trying I, to explain I, I, it. I, I've heard the constantly speaking, like I said, I don't like with that topic, is, uh, I'm not a scientist, all right, let me be clear. So I'm not even going to try to talk about biology or the psychology behind it, but just the, the surface things. Are, you know, obviously, it's not something that normally happens. Okay, normally, obviously, and I don't mean that they're not normal. talking mathematics. Is your battery getting low because your mic just got bad? No, I probably stepped away. 
communication. Uh, I can hear you. It just got really muffled. Um, but, um, at the end of the day, I guess what I'm saying is that, um, you know, there is a means that averagely, on average, person born a male grows up to be a male. Person born a female grows up to be a female. And obviously, a biological female. Obviously, there are times when the wiring doesn't match the machinery for whatever reason. Right. And that's the reality you have to accept. You know, I don't think the person is trying to force an agenda or it is what it is. And it's the physical part of us. It's the physical body. We're not perfect. We're human. You know, and it is what it is. I'm not saying it's an imperfection. I'm saying it is what it is. You know, and you have to accept people for who they are. You know, I agree. You know, um, person born, you know, but if I was born light-skinned, you have to accept it. You know, but it's just, it is what it is. You know, but the only thing I would suggest you do is just get them to understand the love of Christ they should have for the child. Right. The love of the parent and the love of Christ that they have for the child. All right. We, uh, no, I agree. Um, we got to finish up here, but I really want to get to Trina's question because I, I've never heard this. There's a theory that Jesus is the great grandson of Cleopatra. Do you believe this? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that was an easy answer. <laughs> no. I mean, um, it's possible, but no. I haven't seen any historical data that would indicate that, that Joseph, or I should say that Mary, would be related to great but uh before we go did, is there anything you wanted to say in closing uh because we're well over time i apologize we really didn't talk about <laughs> <laughs> i hope ethan is kind enough to have me on and we can talk about yes specific topic i mean i enjoy talking to ethan yeah it always um, makes me think, and always he always tells me something different that I haven't heard. It makes me consider something that I haven't thought about. So I appreciate the conversation. I hope that I was able to share something with people to get them an understanding of where I'm coming from. Um, you know, and I look forward to us talking again. Uh, next time I hope we can, because there was a, we went a lot of different directions. Oh, yeah, we went all and over I the place. I hope I didn't offend any African Americans or any patriots by saying I. Agree with Kaepernick that he should be able to deal what he wants to. Um, I hope I didn't offend. I try. I hope into the LGBT community. Who's LGBT? Heard, I hope I did not offend you unintentionally by speaking about your community using words that may not be proper. I'm still learning. You know, what I've learned about the LGBT community is from watching I Jazz, and I have a lot of gay friends from this DJ house. I know a lot of gay people, just not a lot of trans people. So right. I'm starting to meet more trans people. And I always say be respectful of how people wish to be addressed. I don't think okay. that that is. I find that one of the most goofy things to get upset about how somebody else wants you to address them. That's a control issue. Like, I, if I say I want you to call me African American, you go, okay. Right? right? If I say I want you to call me black, you go, okay. You know, if I was biracial, so I want you to call me biracial, okay. You know, so if a person has determined that this is their identity and they make that call, then you got to respect that. Right. You know? I agree. If you haven't completely trans, trained, you know, changed over yet, and you still physically look like a guy, if I still say he or she, he instead of she, give me a break a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm still getting used to these type of things, and you know, we always go by what we see first, and then you gotta say, hey man, look, no, it's she. Happened to me the other day. I said, sir, to someone that was transgender, 
And they very nice. So it's ma'am. I said, okay, my mistake, ma'am. And they were cool about it because they knew. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, people. I hate people who, there are people who seek to try to be offended. You oh, know, absolutely. In, in, in society, when there's when it's a misunderstanding, you know, and sometimes you just got to be patient with people. You know, we're living for the world. Patience is key. But I agree. I hope that you guys enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to talk with you guys again. Thank you, Ethan, for having me on. Um, like I said, we went about five different thousand places. I'm gonna look at this. <laughs> we didn't even get to quantum mechanics. That's yeah, what I, I wanted to touch on. So again, I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to your conversation with the uh, scientists, and I look forward to hearing Larry. You know, we've talked a few times on Facebook. I would actually like to have an actual conversation with him too. I'd love to see that one. Yeah, he's um, a, he seems like a real bright guy, so yeah. I would love to have a conversation with him. Awesome. Uh, if you could stay on the line for one moment, I'm just going to do closing. Um, uh, seriously, thank you so much for coming on it. As always, every conversation I have with you, there is a lot to learn and I love talking to you. Um, these, I'm having such a good time doing this. And as I said before, originally I framed these as a debate and I I think I took the wrong path. Now it's more of a discussion. And I think that is the important part showing that you and I, while we have different ideologies, we can find common ground. We can talk to each other. We can be respectful. That's that's the important takeaway from this, in my opinion. However, Absolutely. I will say for uh, my debate with Joel, I'm not calling that a discussion. I'm calling it a debate. <laughs> this time, I'm coming in ready. I'm coming in hot. So. I'm, I'm doing the Rocky stuff. But anyways, everyone, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I will be back hosting tomorrow night in the debate with uh, – Larry and Kevin on the topic of how do you know that is tomorrow at 9 PM. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Stay on the line, Richard, everyone. I hope you have a really good evening. Thanks again.